Jesus painted a picture of them as wolves in sheep's clothing. Peter pictures them as creatures of black darkness, and we generally refer to them as false prophets. So who are these false prophets, and what does the Bible have to say about them? Well, to find out, I did what most would do today. I googled the question. And when I typed in biblical references to false prophets, the first thing that came up was 14 top Bible verses about false teachers. When I opened it, I discovered the 14 verses weren't just verses. Some were references that were extensive passages of Scripture, and one in particular caught my eye. Listed among the verses was Second Peter 2, the entire chapter. And that obviously affirmed my decision to cover the entire chapter today. But before we get there, I found something else very interesting in my search for false prophets. The search presented a little row of pictures under the heading of people also searched for. Those pictured were Joel Osteen, Benny Hinn, Joyce Meyer, Paula White, Creflo Dollar, John Hagee, Kenneth Copeland, and Reinhardt Bunke. That was followed by an arrow and view all. And, of course, I had to find out who else might be pictured. The pictures continued with Tony Campolo, Paul Crouch, Rick Warren, Peter Popoff, Pat Robertson, T.D. Jakes, Robert Tilton, Jesse Dupantis, Kenneth E. Hagan, Todd Bentley, Juanita Bynum, Miles Monroe, Eddie Long, Rod Parsley, Mike Murdoch, and Oral Roberts. Now, I'd heard of most of those who were pictured, but there were some I'd never heard of. And I was very surprised to see Tony Campolo and Rick Warren among those who have been searched for under the heading of false prophets. Now, obviously, just because someone was searched for as a false prophet doesn't mean they are. But how do we know who is and who isn't? How do we tell if someone is truly a wolf in sheep's clothing, or simply a sheep with whom we disagree. Jesus said we would know them by their fruits, by what we see in their life and ministry. But what is it we should be looking for? Well, I think what Peter has to say about them in the second chapter of his second letter gives us what we need to know to identify false prophets. And he intertwines their characteristics with graphic reminders of how God has and will judge them and makes very clear the need to and how to withstand their influence. In order to follow his line of reasoning, we're going to have to cover the entire chapter in one setting. So get ready. 
We've got a lot to cover this morning. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly thereafter, and if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, For by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day with their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. Daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties, whereas angels, who are greater in might and power, do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed." Suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. They counted a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you, having eyes full of adultery and that never cease from sin. Enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way, They have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received a rebuke for his own transgression. For a dumb donkey, speaking with the voice of a man, restrained the madness of the prophet. These are springs without water. And mist driven by a storm for whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ... They are again entangled in them and are overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to them. It has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow after washing 
returns to wallowing in the mire. It's quite a passage of scripture, is it not? Peter said false teachers are like creatures of instinct, like unreasoning animals, and that God's judgment for them includes the black darkness. So let's take a good look at these creatures of black darkness this morning. Let's see the creatures exposed, the creatures disposed, and the creatures opposed. Don't you like that? Exposed, disposed, and opposed. The creatures exposed. Since it is almost impossible to be aware of every false prophet and teacher and the details of every false teaching, it's important that we discover certain earmarks that will help us identify them as well as the cults that have developed around some of them. And this Peter has done for us. And in his description of them, we can find five characteristics that expose false prophets for what they really are. The first thing we note about them is that they are subtle. Peter says they secretly introduce destructive heresies. They seldom declare that what you've been taught and what you believe is wrong and that they alone have the truth. They don't want you to get defensive. They want you to like them, to be comfortable around them. They want you to let your guard down. If they came on too strong, most of us would turn them off or throw them out the door. So they downplay any differences that we might spot and accentuate our similarities. In fact, they often use similar terminology. They'll speak of salvation and eternal life and Jesus as the Son of God. But they have their own definitions. When they speak of salvation, they may be thinking of deliverance from what they consider to be oppressive ethical and moral restraints or freedom from the limitations and struggles of life. They're going to make things better and easier for you. Eternal life may actually be a legacy made possible by your investment in their ministry or a series of reincarnations. They may even believe that someone else is as much a son of God as is Jesus, denying his uniqueness and what he alone has done for us. That's why we've got to examine carefully what is taught and keep our guard up. Even when someone sounds orthodox, we cannot rush to embrace everyone and every group that claims to be Christian. Peter says, beware. False teachers secretly introduce destructive heresies. And they may appear to be something really good. An organization that does a lot of good. You know, they minimize their heretical beliefs and focus on the good they do around the world, playing on your emotions to draw 
you in. So even if they appear to hold to the same values that you value, look for subtle differences. Under the cover of patriotism and family values, they may be introducing destructive heresies and false doctrines. Next, Paul points out that false prophets are sensual and that many will follow their sensuality. The word for sensuality is defined by Thayer as unbridled lust. Peter says they indulge the flesh in corrupt desires. They carouse and revel day and night, never ceasing from sin. He says they have eyes full of adultery. The Greek actually says eyes full of an adulteress. They look at women as sexual objects created for their pleasure. They may try to justify their loose moral standards by teaching you that you may have as many wives as you want or that it would be a privilege to have a child fathered by someone of their spiritual status, but it boils down to unbridled lust. And some actually preach a message of sensuality and entice by playing to fleshly desires. They use provocatively dressed women to attract a following. They preach freedom from puritanical restraints and release sexual activity from its God-intended purpose of procreation. They may hide their sensual message under the guise of openness or fulfillment or expressing your true nature, but the underlying message is do whatever feels right to you, whatever makes you feel good. Rather than expose corrupt fleshly desires for what they are, rebellion against God's division of mankind into two separate and distinct genders that fulfill and complement each other when brought together in holy matrimony, they embrace and promote sexual perversion and homosexual marriage. If the moral message you hear from a religious teacher mirrors what you hear from college classrooms, Hollywood, and a culture that equates having a good time with reveling in drunkenness and debauchery, the message is not coming from God. So be aware of teachers who tell people what they want to hear. Attract a following by saying what is culturally acceptable and popular and teach a moral standard that is lower than that taught by our Lord. False prophets are sensual, and they're greedy. Peter says in their greed, they are out to exploit you with false words. They want what you have and will say anything to get into your bank account. Their goal is to live the good life, and they get it by pretending to offer it to you. They are self-willed. Self-pleasing, out for themselves. Peter says they have actually trained their hearts in greed. They love the wages of unrighteousness, as did Balaam. Now, you remember him, the prophet who desperately wanted to take up King Balak's offer of anything in the kingdom if he would just curse the Israelites who were invading the land. It took a talking donkey to open his eyes and convince him that he better listen to God. 
the promise of riches had blinded him to the word of God. He wanted to profit from being a prophet, as do false prophets today. And an easy way to spot one is to examine their lifestyle and their bank account. Go ahead and do a Google search for the ten richest pastors in the world. I think it will shock you. If you're following someone who has multiple million-dollar mansions, a stable of exotic cars, and flies around in a Gulfstream, there's a pretty good chance that he or she is a false teacher motivated by a little more than greed. Next, Peter points out that they are arrogant. They despise authority. They are daring. They do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. They have little regard for anyone else's knowledge or position. They see themselves as the final authority. Peter says even God's angels aren't as arrogant as they are. Even high-ranking angels won't bring railing accusations and judgment against fallen angels and tell God what he ought to do with them. Peter says they revile where they have no knowledge. They put down everyone and teach that they alone have all the answers. God has spoken to them. They've got the message this generation needs to hear. If you don't listen to them, you aren't listening to God. Whenever a teacher shows little regard for those in authority, refuses to acknowledge the wisdom or position of another, and claims he alone has the answers, you can rest assured he is a false prophet. Finally, Peter very graphically points out that they are fraudulent. They can't produce what they promise. They're like springs without water. They hold promise of something good, but it's not there when you move in to take a drink. They promise freedom, but they are themselves slaves of corruption. They are enslaved by their sins, so they can't, can't produce what they promise. They can't give what they don't have. Now, freedom from superstition, from the penalty of sin, and the fear of the future come only from Jesus Christ. False teachers can't give it. So they will certainly disappoint you, if not now, for sure, on Judgment Day. So beware. And watch for the earmarks of false teachers. Remember that they are subtle, sensual, Greedy, arrogant, and fraudulent. Remember that, and you will have the creatures exposed, no matter what form they take. The next question we need to answer is, what's going to happen to them? Doesn't God see what's going on? Why doesn't he stop them? So we need to see the creatures disposed. Peter assures us that their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. God has already judged them and will deal with them as he has dealt with such creatures in the past. He reminds us that God didn't spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into Tartarus 
and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. This is most likely a reference to the sons of God who came to earth and bore children to the daughters of men recorded in Genesis 6 and the subsequent flood that God sent to wipe out a corrupt humanity. And God didn't withhold judgment from the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. He reduced them to ashes. So obviously God knows how to deal with the unrighteous. We don't need to worry about the justice of God. He'll deal with the false prophets and those who follow them in his own time and in his own way. He always has. So let's not be deceived into thinking it doesn't matter what we believe or who we follow. Peter makes it very clear that to follow a false teacher after knowing Christ is worse than having never known him. It's like a dog returning to its own vomit and a sow after washing returning to wallow in the mire. The judgment against the false teachers who have forsaken Christ and anyone who might turn their back on him because of them will be the harshest of judgments. Peter says the black darkness has been reserved for them. They will be adequately dealt with. God's not overlooking their activities. And then our last question, is it possible to survive their attacks? Absolutely. For Peter, next shows the creatures opposed. In the midst of his statements of God's judgment against the ungodly, Peter inserted examples to adequately demonstrate that God knows how to preserve the righteous and rescue the godly. Even after deciding to destroy the entire world, God took note of Noah and his family and preserved them. And after the decision was made to rain down judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, God rescued Lot, a man whose righteous soul was tormented by the sensual conduct and lawless deeds of those he lived among. God doesn't leave his own defenseless. And he knows how to rescue us from temptation, to keep us from falling for the lies of the false prophets. Indeed, if we will walk in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he'll keep us secure. If we ground ourselves in his truth, the subtleties of false teachers won't deceive us. If we're walking as he would have us walk, we will not be leading a life of fleshly desires and they'll not be able to entice us by them. If we are good stewards of what God has given us, we'll not be tempted by the wages of unrighteousness. If we recognize Christ and his word as the authority in our life, will not be led astray by an arrogant false teacher who shows no respect for Christ's authority. And if we found real joy and peace and love in Christ, the fraudulent claims of the false teachers won't appeal to us. 
In fact, if Jesus is truly Lord of your life, a false teacher has nothing that will appeal to you. That is our best defense. Commitment to Jesus Christ that enables him to live his life through us in the fullest sense of the word. If your life is wrapped up in Jesus and his word, the creatures of black darkness can't get to you. So turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth and the promises of false teachers will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. If you wish to make public your commitment to keeping your eyes on Jesus in a world that is filled with false prophets, I invite you to come and commit yourself to him this morning. Let's stand. Thank you.